live from Liverpool, we need to talk about ghosts. Patreon Podcast with Kevin Eustace. Yes, it is. It's Sunday and it's time to talk about paranormal stuff with me and you wonderful Patreons. Now, as you know, Becca isn't here and I'm sad she's not here because normally we'd have back and forth banter and now it just means that you get a semi-serious me talking about the paranormal. Now, is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? I don't know. In the background, you may hear like a tinkle sound and that's the sound of the cat's collar hitting her lovely food bowl because she's nibbling away at something. I've just heard it then, I thought, i best tell you. So what I thought we'd talk about today, or start off as jump-off points, is I found when I was doing some big... Why am I talking quite posh? don't know. Anyway, I found when I was doing, a, like, a renovation... A renovation? I was tidying up this room, basically. And um, I came across this book, The Mammoth Book of True Hauntings. Ooh, over 100 eyewitness accounts of modern-day hauntings from around the world. And I thought, well... If that's not begging to be used during this podcast, I don't know what is. So, literally, one page I opened it to, this was the title. It was on page 71, because I just thought I'll scan through as you do, you know. And um, page 71, little paragraph, which I like little paragraph stories, because then you've got jump-off points, you can do what you want. Um, I speak to Hitler every day. And apparently this was an article from the Sunday People, which is a newspaper, on the 12th of September 1976. It says, An afterlife story by Adolf Hitler is being dictated through a ghostwriter. Psychic researcher John John Rayner Rayner makes the astonishing claim that he himself is in daily communication with the infamous Nazi leader who killed himself in Berlin 31 years ago. Remember, this is 1976. Um, Where are we? Mr. Rayner, an electronics consultant who has made a lifetime study of psychic phenomena, says that Hitler, Adolf Hitler, is dictating to him a book on life after death. Because, you know, if you want anyone's version of events on what goes on in the afterlife, it's probably Hitler's. He says the spirit of Hitler moved into his life when he was experimenting with automatic writing idly doodling around with a pen and pad in the hope that some disembodied entity would make contact. The ex-Führer, he says, is living in the afterlife with his mistress, Eva Braun, and often meets with Goering and Himmler. Wow, so they're trying to start the Nazi party in the afterlife. Mr Rayner says that Hitler expresses no guilt or regret over the war or the mass killings for which he stands guilty. He explains that this is because there is no guilt and no blame in the afterlife. Well, fuck me. That's the end of the of the story there. The article, should I say. Now, I don't know what this John Rayner's game is, but what also is firstly, you know these psychics who come out and say, Oh, I've spoke to Diana or I've spoke to Michael Jackson. Why Unless they're purposefully trying to get it, there's no way on earth that that fella was just doodling around with some automatic writing and Adolf Hitler came through out of everyone in the world. You know, either he's specifically tried to sort out Adolf Hitler or he's lying. Which one of those, you know, is more likely? I think it's the one that he's lying. 
And also, very interesting, if we take as tacit that he's lying, because he is fucking lying, let's be honest, why is he trying to say, um, there's no guilt or blame in the afterlife, what have you done, John? What have you been up to? Maybe Mrs. Rayner needs to be checking your phone. Well, in 1976, she'd be picking it up and going, it's a rotary dial, what should I be doing with this? We don't even have 1471 back now. I'll tell you what was it, like, spookily terrifying. 1971. Um, oh, sorry, 1976, that article was written. That was three years before I was born. Just three years before I was born. And within it, it says Hitler killed himself 31 years ago. That, ugh, time is horrible. Time is absolutely mind-bendingly scary because it goes nowhere. It goes nowhere. Ugh, I can't even think about it. Anyway, should we have another story? Yes, this is from the News of the World, again, 1976, and again, a newspaper. A 19-year-old Egyptian girl told her family that she would be blessed with supernatural powers, but first she had to die and be brought back to the world as a spirit or as a ghost. Her sister and three girlfriends held a seance at her flat in Cairo. They then hanged the girl, Samia, from a chandelier until she was dead. When her ghost failed to appear... The girls panicked and called the police and they've all been charged with murder. Oh my God. I need to bookmark this story. So I'm going to use this pen right here. I'm going to circle it because that is fucking shocking. What a horror story waiting there. I mean, her name is Samia as well. That is like, is it Samara, the girl who comes out of the well? But that, I mean, that, I mean, that's real life as well. It's also from 1976. Has enough time passed to make that into an actual horror movie? I don't know. But that's where my me, me mind's going at the minute. Um, the next one's about Amityville. We won't read that because, you know, it's Amityville. Haunted Park for a Princess. Nope, we won't read that one. That's not as enticing as I speak to Hitler every day. My Haunted Love Life. Go on, let's have a look. Top cabaret singer. This Sorry, this is from the News of the World, 1975. These are all, um, obviously, as you may have guessed, taken from newspapers, which I think is a good source of ghost stories, really. You know, it's uh, it means they've made enough, they've stirred the pot enough to be featured in a newspaper. So that's quite good. Top cabaret singer, Tonya Byrne Campbell, makes the extraordinary claim that she is haunted by the ghost of her dead husband, Speed King Donald Campbell. The 39-year-old beauty widowed when the world record, record buster crashed on Coniston Water eight years ago. Again, with the time in there, fucking hell. Says Donald suddenly returns... Sorry. Donald suddenly materialises to put the chill on her love life if he doesn't think the man is right for her. Wow and that he appears in the night to give advice in times of crisis, that his phantom constantly flits about the, their flat where she lives in Dolphin Square, London. Blonde Tonya has jet-set suitors lining up to squire her around. Really, I'd like to marry again, she says, but with this happening, how can I? Donald will reappear at the most embarrassing moments. I might be in the embrace with one suitor and look over his shoulder to stare right at Donald. He just won't leave me alone, and I'm sure he won't disappear until I've found someone he totally approves of. Ah, 
I mean, that's nice. It could also be that Donald's just a little bit of a perv. And he's like, go on, girl. Oh, why do you keep stopping? Oh, I'll have to hide. So let's see. This one sounds juicy. It's from The Telegraph on April the 4th, 1975. And it's called Actress Dies After Exorcism First Night. Mary Yuri, 42, the actress, was found dead in her Mayfair flat yesterday, only hours after playing the part of a woman possessed in the first night of the West End play The Exorcism by Don Taylor. Her part as a haunted hostess taken over by the spirit of a woman who had died of starvation centuries ago was an emotionally taxing role, but one which the actress um, and her experience could take in her stride. Asked if there could have been any connection between the play and Miss Yore's death, a spokesman said, How can anyone answer a question like that? The information I was given was that she choked on something and suffocated. In brackets, it says the subsequent inquest recorded a verdict of accidental death caused by barbiturate and alcoholic poisoning. So it turns out, like most people of that age, and that age, I mean that era, they were all on speed and ale. It was like uh, the Beatles were on speed, but they called it barbiturates back then. Purple uppers or something. And they'd all just take them and stay playing in Germany all night. But nowadays it's bad. It was bad then too. I joke. Actually, before we carry on with any more paranormal tales, I'll interlude this to say I've got a dilemma. And um, I don't need any answers on this because by the time you listen to this, the decision will have been made. But I'm meant to be going out for a drink with a lad that I used to work with in the arena. Um, and he's a nice lad. And, you know, it's, it's perfectly normal to go and have a drink with someone and all that jazz, I'm not saying it's anything unusual or strange, but I don't drink. And the reason that I chose to stop drinking was because I hated the three-day hangovers, for one. For two, like because that would literally write off three days for me, and I, and I, I hate wasting time. Um, I don't make the best decisions when I'm drunk. All in all, I, I, I fear going out, but at the same time, this lad literally asked me to go out numerous times and every time I've said no. And I feel like a right twat. And because Becca's away and I've got nothing else to do, I'm like, ah, oh, so I've said yeah. And now, Sunday afternoon, what day is it? Oh, no, you're listening to this on Sunday. I'm recording this Saturday. This is the point. I'm recording this on Saturday um, just in case I do go out and do get drunk because I won't be able to do it tomorrow. So that's what I mean. When you hear this, the decision will be made and I'll either be hanging, uh, not literally like Samia, but I will either be like absolutely hungover or I wouldn't have went and I'll be perfectly fine. And both options, just hit the mic stand there. Both options are as, um, currently it's 50-50, it's in the balance. I'm kind of hoping he, he reigns it off, if I'm being honest. There are other factors at play, but we'll have to wait and see. It's horrible feeling like this. I wish that I didn't keep it in the fucking mic stand. No, I wish that... Um, I wish I could just look forward to a drink. Do you know what I mean? I wish, it, like everyone else, oh, weekend's coming up, I'm going to have a nice glass of wine, I'm going to see me mate. I just don't have that in me. I just don't have it in me. If, it, I, if anything, it strikes a chord of fear in me, apprehension, anxiety. 
And I, I wish I didn't have that. I'm already thinking, all right, well, right, say you go. Oh, and I do have a drink. I'll get drunk. I'll get drunk to the point where I'm staggering. Then it might start raining. I won't have took a brolly out because I'm not an eccentric gent. So I'll be in the pissing down rain. I'll have to walk home because town will be rammed with people with taxis. And it's a good length from the pub he's planning on going to, to where I live. It's about a three-mile walk. Um, or I could just stay in, do you know what I mean, and have none of that issue. But then if you do that all your life, what what do you do? What can you say you've achieved in terms of, like, socialness? Oh, I don't know. So that's where my mind's currently at. So this podcast's a good distraction for that. He says, bringing it up. Listen to this, though. This is an interesting little article. This is from 1970, The Times, of all places. GP, that's a general practitioner to you and I, or a doctor, says the return of dead spouses as ghosts is actually common. This is the article. Widows and widowers who sense the presence of their former marriage partner are in no way unusual. Talking to and seeing the ghost is also a common experience, according to Dr W. Dewey Rees, a Welsh GP. He's found, however, that very few people who have these experiences disclose them even to close relatives. Dr Rees talked to 293 patients about their experiences after the death of their spouse and the results of his study were reported in the British Medical Journal. Nearly half the patients had had some sensation of the presence of their spouse and in many that had persisted for several years. Bloody hell. But overall the tendency was for the sensation to become less frequent. More than 10% of those questioned had spoken to or heard the voice of their partner and a similar proportion had seen a hallucination. Why not a ghost? Anyway. Widows of the managerial and professional group were more likely to have illusions. That's interesting. Others more likely to experience this were people, were people with long and happy marriages and parenthood. Dr Rees emphasises that in most cases, the presence of the ghost was comforting, particularly to those who spoke to the dead partner. It then says a decade later in 1983, this is like an addition onto the article, uh, the New York Post reported that a research project at Arizona University consulted 300 widows in Phoenix and found again that more than half of them had seen, talked, felt or touched their dead husbands. Uh, the Professor of Human Development, Arthur Christopherson, it's because it's over two lines, Arthur Christopherson, who headed the research, said many of them say it's in the privacy of their bedroom that they felt their late husbands touch them. Some of the widows have seen their dead husbands up to 20 years after their death, and some have had up to five or six contacts. There you go. Sorry, there's a strange noise in the room. I hate it when you hear a strange noise, because especially when I'm reading, because I'm focused elsewhere. But that's an interesting little article, isn't it, that one? Because that tells us that maybe life does go on. Or is it is it just love that goes on, you know? If, God forbid, and I can't even believe I'm saying this, but if Becca's plane crashes on the way home, I guarantee you that I will see her here. And I'm not saying it would be a ghost. It may well be a ghost, but I would, I'd would i be that traumatised I would hallucinate her. I'd definitely hallucinate a voice. But um, same with the cat. I'm already seeing ghosts of our cat. And it's not a, you know, like little black things moving out of the corner of my eye and when I look... She's upstairs. 
I mean, that's not a good thing. That could just mean there's a ghost in the house, which, as we know, there well may be. But, yeah, I do think I would hallucinate, and I don't think it would be a ghost. So maybe they are right to call it hallucinations. I don't know. I just don't know. But I think love can do strange things to the body. Or should I say routine can do strange things to the body? You know, I am a strong believer, as you all know, that DNA is a virus, that we are all technically just the host of a virus. And therefore, things like feelings of love, these are all chemical imbalances, really, that spur us on to do certain things, to form connections, to breed, to extend the life of the DNA within us. Um, That's just my personal opinion. But I do think that I would see a hallucination of her. I mean, if that hallucination then started knocking on the wall and other people heard it, then I'd be like, that's a fucking ghost. That's not a hallucination. But up to that point, I'd be like, no, you're just in my mind. And if she was like, no, I'm not. The winning lottery numbers are 7, 6, 72, 83. You know what? When I started saying the winning lottery numbers then, I said 7, 2, and then I thought immediately in my head very quickly, don't read out six actual numbers because if they come in and you don't put them on, you'll kill yourself. So I jumped to 76 and 82 because they are not numbers that are in the lottery. Just to in case you were thinking, you can't put those numbers on in the lottery. Well, that's why I've just said it. Here's an interesting one. It's from the people in 1955 and it's called the Council House of Horrors. Oh, The council house that was allocated to Frank Pell and his family in Coxwell Road, Birmingham, looked like the answer to their prayers after years in rented rooms, but proved to be a house of horrors. Soon after the family of seven moved in... Fucking hell. Was it shaped like a shoe? Anyway. Soon after the family of seven moved in, their lives were made in misery by banging doors, loud thuds and a strange smell. There are seven of you, to be fair. In June, tragedy struck when the Pell's month-old baby was found dead in bed. Well, fuck me, Kevin. Jokey, jokey, jokey. Death of a baby. Nice one. Oh, my God. After the baby's funeral, the noises and smells continued. Then one evening... Evening. Alan Pell, four, said, Did the baby go with the little white dog? Frank Pell asked his son, What dog? The child replied, The little white dog that comes and sits on my bed sometimes. I saw him sitting on the baby's face the night the baby left us. The police were alerted, the house searched, but nothing was found. The Pells have quit the council house and will be rehoused while surveyors of Birmingham Council carry out a full investigation. Oh my God. I've often said, and that is proof as to why, Sometimes the most terrifying stories that you'll hear will be like a paragraph. That is horrific. I think we can all agree the bride's just shat herself because that is terrifying. What little white dog of death is this that sits on a baby and kills it? Oh my fucking God. That's awful. These are great, these. You know what? I'm going to be reading this book all day. This is called, by the way, The Mammoth Book of True Hauntings. You'll have seen the cover. It's by Peter Haining. It's in, I've seen it in loads of, loads of stores. I didn't know he had it, to be fair. I've seen it in loads of stores and picked it up and went, nah. But it turns out it's fucking boss. Pardon the French. This one's called Tapping at the Window from the Evening Standard. 
8th of July, 1955. Mr Francis Cole, groundsman at the Mid-Kent Golf Club, Gravesend, declares that he's been driven out of his home at the Overcliff Gravesend by a poltergeist. There were tappings on his bedroom window and he heard shuffling footsteps. He was unable to sleep at night, doors opened of their own accord, and he saw, as he sat up, sleepless in bed, his black cat spitting with fear and fury as the doors of a built-in cupboard began to open and close. The house is reputed to be the scene of a murder during the 19th century. Well, it will, because that's a thing in England. Big, old, like, country houses and, and large houses owned by the wealthy, they don't have numbers. Like, ours is number 224, for example, on a street. Um, they don't have numbers, they have names. And as you can see, he was tr he's been driven out of his home at the Overcliff Gravesend. They always have names. And what was a funny thing during the 90s and early 2000s was you would get people who had a house number. Um, they were on a normal street, for example, but they would be determined. They thought they were upper class for some reason. And they would, you know, they would remove like number 19 and instead put up a plaque that said like, the orchids. And they would say their address was the orchids, Miller Lane. And you'd be like, and I'd deal with them when I was a, a customer service rep for a delivery company for a short time. And I'd be like, what's your address, please? Can I take your postcode? So they'd be like, yes, yeah, CH42, blah, blah, blah. So you put it in and it'd bring up like Hayden Road. And you go, is it Hayden Road? And they go, yes. And I go, okay, what house number is it? And on my screen, it's just like house numbers one to 200. And they'd be like, it's not a house number. It's a name, The Orchid. And I'd be like, right, that's not showing up on the Royal Mail tracking system. It should be, it should be, it should be down as The Orchid. And I was like, is, is there no number attached to the house? No, no, it's the orchid. And you'd be like, okay, can I just ask, what is the house to your left? And they'd be like, 118. And I'd be like, right. And what is the house to your right? 202. So are you 200? No, we're the orchid. And I'd be like, right, I'm going to put you down as 200. I bet you it gets to you. Um, these people, honestly, some people... Some people, they love one another. Anyway, let's have another. It says here, here's an interesting one. Let's see this, because we're proof in the pudding that, over, well, almost 70 years on, this isn't the case. This article is entitled, Belief in Ghosts is Dying Out, and it's from the Evening News, March 1954. Belief in ghosts, like belief in the devil, is dying out. Dr Margaret Murray, the well-known writer on the supernatural, told a meeting of the Folklore Society last night. This is attributed well, this is attributed to our better method of illumination, she added. Dr Murray was giving her presidential address to the society. Ghosts are notoriously fond of darkness, but now every town and most villages have street lamps, houses are lit by electricity, vehicles have headlamps which illuminate the dark lanes, and pedestrians no longer carry a lantern with a flickering rushlight, but can flash the ray of an electric torch or any uncanny on any uncanny-looking object they see or fancy they see. She goes on to say, If you think there is something in the room, all you have to do is put on the bedside light. Either it was all the imagination, 
in which case the lights end one's fears or else the ghost disappears because no ghost is seen in the light. Well, undoubtedly, that lady is now dead because it's 70 years on. I mean, unless she was like six and was some, and she might still be alive. So it's, it's, it's about 68 years on. Let's say she was 25 then. Let's say she was some fiery, foxy parapsychologist back in the day. And, um, yeah, she could, she might still be alive. She might even be a Patreon. Hello. What's your name again? I've missed it. What's your name? Hello, Dr. Margaret Murray, if you're listening. Turns out belief in ghosts isn't dying out, nor is belief in the devil, actually. If you look at the Vatican, they've recently hired around 300 more exorcists. So if anything, belief in the devil is rising, you'll be happy to hear. I'm sure that puts a smile on everyone's face. Now, this one sounds intriguing. Slaughter in the mountains. Oh, I don't know why I keep doing the wolf sounds. This is from The Scotsman, 14th of October, 1941. We're going back in time. The celebrated mountaineer, Frank S. Smythe, they always have names like that, don't they, has described a strange encounter whilst he was travelling across the Highland Hills from Morvik to Loch Duich. Although it was a bright, sunlit day, he experienced a sensation of something sinister as he entered the defile which led down to Glen Glomach. And this, this is a quote. A score or more of ragged people, men, women and children, were struggling through the defile, he says. They appeared very weary, as though they'd come a long way. The pitiful procession was in the midst of the defile, when all of a sudden, from either side, concealed men leapt to their feet, brandishing spears and axes and clubs, rushed down with wild yells on the unfortunates underneath. Let's see. Though a short and fierce struggle, then a horrible massacre. Not one man, woman, nor child was left alive. The defile was choked with corpses. Moments later, I realised I was turning Indian. He doesn't say that. I do. Moments later, everything had vanished. I'm not a superstitious person. But, <laughs> but it seemed to me that I'd been vouchsafed. That's a real word. V-O-U-C-H. Safed. All one word, vouchsafed. It seemed to me I'd been vouchsafed a backwards glance into a bloodstained page of Scottish history. That's interesting, isn't it? You know what else is interesting? The lad who lives at the back of us. He's just very loud all the time. And God bless him, you know, all the more power to him. But this morning when I was having a shower, um, he was singing, I am the one and only in the back garden, full pelt, repeatedly at like quarter to eight. And I'm all for it because like I've said many a time, even though I can find something annoying at first and then think, you know what? Fair play because life's too short. Um, and it really made me chuckle this morning. And I'm only saying that because I've just heard him now belting something out. I think it's from Rambo that he's shouting at the minute. But everybody needs someone like that to live by them, I think. So you can go, hooray, well done you. I actually, um, I heard him threatening to run away the other day. I don't know why it was. He was just like, Dad, I'm running away. He's only about six. God bless him. Anyway, let's have one more before we part ways. And this is called A Poltergeist Upsets Land Girls. Land Girls? What's a land girl? Isn't every girl a land girl? Are you aware of an air girl? Anyway, this is from the South Wales Echo in 1943. This summer, there has been a great commotion in the hostel of the Women's Land Army at Gill House, Aspartia, Cumberland. 
There have been weird noises, ghastly smells and strange figures, all of which have disappeared at daybreak. Several of the girls have vowed they've seen a phantom shape walking through doors, and one girl was awakened, and I quote, with the feeling that she was being strangled and pulled through the bed. Through the bed. That's amazing. I love that. I'm going to have to highlight that. Through the bed. Ugh. A local clergyman believes that a poltergeist is responsible for the interferences and was asked to exercise the hostel. But when he and his wife slept there, they heard wrappings travelling to and fro along one of the walls and felt like there was something unearthly about the place. So what? So they didn't. Two women's land army officers decided to spend a night in the haunted dormitory, but before dawn, they left the room pale and haggard. Nice way to describe females there. But there you go. Interesting. I tell you what, I made up and found this book again, though, because there's been some things that have really stuck out. That story about that Samir girl, that's terrifying. That is the origin story for an amazing horror film to be made. It really is. Even set it in the 70s. Oh, I'm going to write this. I'm going to write this. Oh, God. Or is it bad taste because it was real life? I don't know. Well, I wouldn't actually call it Samir. You know what I mean? But like that, someone getting pulled through a bed, that's amazing. These are the stuff that you don't hear. And what was the other? That fucking other one? The council house? Um, the, the white dog? The one that sits on our bed? The one that sat on the baby's face when it died? Fuck me. There is a myriad. Pardon the French, by the way. But there is a myriad of amazing, like, I don't even know what you call them. But jump off points for horror films. I'm going to start writing them. I do believe I have to. You know what I might do? Here's what I was thinking about doing. Genuinely. And submitting it somewhere. I don't know where you submit a script, for God's sake. But, do you know what I thought would be a really good collection? A series of six horror shorts, right? An anthology, if you will. Um, But all based on truth. So you'd have to, like, find someone's the difficulty is with the likes of the dark paranormal there's often an end do you know what i mean but these would i suppose as in like you know it goes away or there's a resolution um but because these would be based on truth i'm to- i'm talking out loud now literally as i'm thinking because these would be based on truth you do have a bit of creative license there but all of them would end with no resolution is what i mean so for example Let's say a haunted council house like that is episode one. Things start going off, things start going crazy. And like you look, it's only on for half an hour. And on the 28th minute, things are still going crazy. And you're like, what? How's this going to resolve itself in two minutes? And it doesn't resolve itself. Do you know what I mean? It just, it ends with them waking up like with the main guy in the house, just turning off a light to go to bed and the light goes back on because it's continuing and then the next one would be a different story, but again with no resolution. To leave everyone like sort of hanging. I've used the word hanging far too much, considering there was a horrific story about a hanging. Anyway, on that bombshell, I'm going to leave you all there. Hopefully, as you listen to this, I'm not hungover. I'm starting to sway more into the camp of not going out for a drink tonight. Um, and I hope that's where I remain, if I'm being perfectly honest. I am, but we'll see. 
because I have also bought jeans. I went out today and bought jeans. I went out and bought jeans. I bought hairspray. I bought this moisturizer, which is meant to reduce oil in your skin because I'm a tit and I'm a sucker for merchandise. Not merchandise, what is it? Marketing. Um, so yeah, I'm preparing to go out, you know, but hopefully I won't. I'm definitely going to end up out, aren't I? Anyway, either way, the cat jumps. I will speak to you on Monday, probably still hungover if I did go out, um, for our normal show, for a win tag. Okay, you wonderful people. Take care of yourselves and each other, and I'll speak to you on Monday. Tatty bye. <laughs>